Welcome back to Rethinking Politics, episode 103. Um, As promised, we are going to be talking about Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, and some fact-checking. I know it's weird to be talking about exactly what we said we were going to talk about. We didn't get distracted by any other news events going on. We we stayed focused, and, and we're going to do it. So, anything you want to add to that, Dan? <laughs> yes, I, you made me think of a number of news events. <laughs> I think they count as distractions in how you just define things. Shush, shush baby doll. I, I was just going to say, there was a major turn in the war in Ukraine. And uh, Ukraine launched a counteroffensive, which in itself suggests things are going well for Ukraine, that they can. And it was wildly successful. Yeah, they have made up a lot of territory and it's looking bad for Russia, which is fantastic. Yes, for I think everyone else in the world. And maybe even for most Russians, just not in the short run. <laughs> so anyways, even though Dan's trying to distract us here, I'm going to try and stay focused. So I don't believe you. So this is... I think that was a lie. So... So, Go ahead and try again, Brad. So what we're going to be talking about is is fundamentally old news. In fact, everything we're going to be talking about is old news, but it's important and it's worth bringing up today. Um, the the old news in regards to Facebook, the reason it's being talked about now is because Mark Zuckerberg went on Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, you may have heard of it. Had an interview and and talked about a lot of things. They talked about you know about uh, virtual reality a lot. So if you if you listen to us talking and you're like I'm gonna go listen to that episode, I want to hear about about Facebook and fact checking. You're gonna have to wait a while. It's you need probably an hour <laughs> and a half before they start before they even mention any of that. They, they're gonna be talking about VR a lot. They're gonna talk about technology and all sorts of things, which is actually it's actually a really good conversation. Don't mean to knock it. Just understand. They do not spend three hours talking about Facebook and the Hunter Biden laptop story in the FBI, which is what the headlines and articles are about. Um, I believe Dan and I have both listened to the episode, but the actual segment about it is pretty short. So what happened is, you know, a couple years ago during the, the election, there was a, a story about, about Hunter Biden's laptop that was circulating through social media. Before it started circulating, the FBI came to Facebook and said, hey, we have gotten a report. There's going to be a lot of misinformation or disinformation that's being dumped into the system, um, potentially from, from a foreign nation as has happened in the past, and to, to be on the lookout for, for this disinformation campaign. And, and that's what spawned all this controversy controversy is the fact that here you have a a you know a federal agency coming to this private company and and not telling them what to do but but giving them a warning and and often it's been misportrayed as people have talked about it they talked about it as if FBI came to them and said hey this particular story is going to show up shut it down and if that's what the FBI had did had did had did <laughs> I just had a had a moment there that I had to fight with myself not to just turn off the microphone and just shut it down, and the podcast is over. But I'm, I'm just I'm regrouping. It. I can't I can't put together basic grammar in a sentence. We should probably just throw it down. 
I apologize. <laughs> if that's what had happened, then it would be a different story, but, but it's not. But even as it stands, it is interesting. It is interesting to have a federal agency communicating in such a, a particular way with a private company. But the more, you, more I thought about it, the more it made sense. I mean, here you have this single organization, this single company that has, I mean, more influence and news coverage across the board. I mean, it's not, it's not a top-down news organization. But it is disseminating news on a regular basis in, an, in, in just an incalculable amount of news being transmitted person to person through Facebook stories, through feeds, through, through reshares. All this information is being transported about what's going on currently, which is what news is, right? Even though it's not a, a typical right. news company, it is. It is. It is transmitting more news than CNN, more news than Fox, more news than MSNBC. But because of the way that information is being transmitted, it's much more complicated. You know what I mean? You don't have an article written by so-and-so for Facebook that's being disseminated and that you can then say, okay, that's not true. Facebook, take it down. You know what I mean? Because Facebook isn't posting these stories. They're just allowing them to take place on their platform. And, and this is where you get into that gray area of of where their responsibility lies. And that's something that... Right, this is often described as the publisher versus... Uh, uh, what's the other term? Publisher versus... Producer? Platform. platform. Okay, yeah, platform. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, pl- yeah. Are, they, are they a platform where you can put information up and you're not responsible for it? Are they a publisher, right? This is, for a while, conservatives were arguing this is because they're functioning as a publisher, effectively, by choose by tampering with things they must fit that they must be held to the standards that a newspaper would be for truth telling etc etc not neither here nor there so so what's fun about this situation is is you look back at what happened during the election and the good news is that no one is on facebook's side all of the conservatives are upset because well, sorry, I'm, I'm jumping the gun. First, I want to talk about what happened, particularly with the Hunter Biden scandal. The Hunter Biden scandal story is being, is being passed along on Facebook. Facebook spots it, and they immediately throttle it, which is also referred to now as shadow banning, where they are changing the algorithm specifically for this story so that people can still share it. No posts are being taken down. No one's being banned. But the information is moving much slower. It's a much lower priority for people to see it. In other words, they're intentionally slowing the spread of this story or anyone who's posting about this particular story. Um, so that's what they did as they, as according to Facebook, they investigated the truthfulness of the story. And as, as Zuckerberg, is, as Marky Mark, whatever you want to call him, um, the big MZ, I think, is what his friends call him. As as the big MZ <laughs> is talking to Rogan, he openly admits that that yes, there there was no evidence that that story was false. So so looking back at it, theoretically, that story that story should have been allowed to just flow freely. But and he defends the action as a reasonable course that they didn't block it. They throttled it temporarily in order to figure out what was going on and then eventually stopped throttling it. Um, 
immediately, of course, there's a few questions. And, and, you know, Joe Rogan asked some of those questions like, how much did you throttle it? You know, how much did the shadow ban actually do? And, and the answer is, of course, vague. He said, you know, some and significant. Significant was the, was the, the most concrete word I think I heard in regards yes. to it. Yes. That it wasn't. Right. The way he said it, he's like, it's significant. Yeah. The, they were discussing how much of an impact does this have? It's significant. Yeah, exactly. The implication is it wasn't a little bit. It was more a lot than it was a little bit. And, and that sounds about right. You know what I mean? People keep complaining about shadow banning. The reason is because it is significant. If it were insignificant, people wouldn't notice, let alone care. <laughs> um, right. And so, of course, so that, that's the first question is, is how much did you throttle it? The second question is, how quickly did you search for the answers? You know what I mean? And then, you know, and, and then how quickly did you stop throttling it? Because, you know, you, you'd think you'd be able to do two or three's work, two or three days work of, of cautious investigation, realize there's just no evidence, there's not strong enough evidence to take it down, and then immediately stop throttling it. And if that happened, it probably wouldn't have been as big a deal. But this took place over a significant period of time so that it had a strong effect on news coverage, on the election. And that's a big deal. You know what I mean? It's not that what Facebook did is incontrovertibly a problem. It's that what Facebook did had a significant impact on the spread of news and on the election, you know what I mean? These things, these things make a difference. Um, it's entirely possible that the election would have gone the other way if this story had, had never been, been throttled, slammed yeah. by social media. It's it's possible, right? We're not saying that that would have happened, but with how close the election was, with how big of a story this was, some of the things that were on the laptop and so on, it's possible that this would have made the difference. And it's a. Uh... It's such a problematic thing because as you listen to the interview and you hear Mark talk about it, everything he's saying sounds so incredibly reasonable. He, he, he sounds surprisingly human as, as people who have, who have <laughs> been familiar with the, the, the memes about him. He sounded really, really human and just really honest and upfront. But Facebook is not Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg is an individual who wanted something. What he wanted was a social media company. You know what I mean? What he has now is so much more than that. And so he's got a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of teams dealing with these massive issues, right? And and so it's it's grown so much more than them, more than just him. He's just not sitting at a computer making these decisions. This is a giant, you know, multi-billion dollar company that is making decisions that affect the bottom line. So what does that mean? Well, it means that there's going to be some questions about why was this story throttled before it was proven while the majority of stories aren't throttled at all. You know what I mean? They're not being verified, right. but they're not being throttled either. So how do, why do you decide to throttle this story versus others? Well, because it's controversial, because it goes against mainstream narratives, right? Isn't that the obvious question? Because it makes people upset, and it makes people upset with Facebook. You know what I mean? That's the key detail here, is that Facebook is the one who's going to take the hit for spreading disinformation if it turns out to be disinformation. 
And that's exactly yes, the kind. Yes. That's the kind of accusation where if yeah. if after let's say they don't throttle the story for all of those conservatives listening who are getting riled up about this, let's say they don't throttle the story, and it spreads like wildfire, and it changes the course of the election, and it turns out to have been a complete fabrication. Now the U.S. government turns to Facebook. You know, the FBI and other agencies, and they say, and the American people as well, turn to Facebook and say, hey, you allowed the spread of, mis- of disinformation, of, ap- of, of fraudulent information, and because of what you did, someone got elected who wouldn't have gotten elected if it weren't for this disinformation. You know what I mean? And that's a huge accusation. <laughs> that's the kind of accusation that in this day and age could bring down a company like Facebook. You know what I mean? It legitimately yeah. could. It's so Yuri, this is an interesting line of thought uh, that I hadn't thought about. And as you're talking through it, it reminded me that this was when people talk about how Trump was elected the first time, they blame social media and news organizations for giving him attention mm-hmm. because he couldn't have got the, you know, they, at some point he has to be given enough attention that he can then call attention himself. Um, and. And so one of the lessons that, uh, that people on the left talk about from the 2016 election is that you need to be more careful with who you're covering and why. And because in some way, uh, you, you get leaks from Google and other places talking about this. We need to use our power more carefully because we have caused this. We could have stopped this or we could have given our attention somewhere else, right? They feel like kingmakers. They feel like the people who really have the power. And to some degree, that's that's that true. true. Right? That's actually that's actually fair. They're especially Google. You look into some of the things they can do with the search engines, and it's it's a uh, super sketchy. But anyway, so if you're feeling that weight, right, and everybody has kind of come to this consensus on that 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 it's their fault that Trump got elected the first time, which side are you going to err on? Yeah. When when something comes out that could flip the election, that could be true or false, maybe you don't have evidence that it's false, but it's also unlikely that it's true, right? It's kind of a wild thing out mm-hmm. there. The safe play is and, and based off based on the bias of the the organizations around you and the people around you and the your political side and so on, you're going to lean against throttling. You're going to lean towards throttling. Well, and I would say you're going to lean towards banning banning it, and throttling was a <laughs> was a surprisingly conservative gesture. Yes, I think that's. I think you're probably right. Yeah, yeah. They could have banned it outright because this was weeks. This was what three weeks before the election day or something like that. This was this was right in the crunch uh-huh. time. Right in the crunch time. Um, it's so interesting. You were talking about how Mark uh, Zuckerberg seems so reasonable. I I did not expect to listen to an interview with Mark Zuckerberg and come away impressed, thinking well of him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And part of it, part of it was that he really sounds like he doesn't want to be involved in these kind of decisions. This is not something he asked for. Um, you and I were talking, Brad, about some of the some of the moderation. So there's there's content moderation on Facebook. And that's good. As a, like as a general category, you want I want my social platforms to have some content moderation. I want them, for example, 
to eliminate pornographic or extremely violent yeah, materials. Yeah, there are places on the internet where there is no moderation, and those places, while they have a, you know, a small following, don't have a widespread following because of that. You know, if you go on 4chan yeah. or even like even Reddit, which does has does have moderation, but it's a lot less limited, you know, has has yes, a sm- and you can crawl deep into the Yeah, into all sorts into of, the- of different webs has has a much smaller following because you never know what you're gonna run into. I mean it's a, it's a crazy it's a crazy world out there versus Facebook that you know is gonna be safe. You know what I mean? You know there's going to be a lot of things that aren't showing up on there. And that is content moderation. It's something that takes place right. on right. a regular basis. I mean, it's not just – you mentioned you know, like pornography, and that's, that's a huge category in, in ter- terms of it being family-friendly. But there's also all sorts of things like, like they cut down on – on fraudulent activities and all sorts of things like that to try yes, and make scams, it a the- legitimate social networking experience that we just take for granted and don't think about. Yes, that's right. That's right. That, these things are all invisible to us. We don't notice the absence of it, but then until you start thinking about it and you're like, wait, how is that done? Mm-hmm. Um, Zuckerberg was saying that they, that Meta spent in 2021, they spent $5 billion fighting disinformation. Yeah. And I, and I, did he say exactly disinformation? I think it might have been a slightly broader category than that. I think it was broader. I think broader. it was five yes, billion so I, on content yeah. moderation. You know what I mean? On yes, yes, this kind of stuff, which includes disinformation yes. as well as other things. I think you're right. So, so when I, uh, I, that is a clip from a news article that was summarized in a conversation. But I think you're absolutely right. I think it actually was uh, content moderation, which is much more than that. Um, in, and if you think about it, like. As he points out in the interview to uh, Joe, that's more than the budget of many countries. That's that's an insane amount of money looking at content moderation and how you do it. Um, he pointed out that they they are doing they're moderating. Uh, I, guess, I suppose that's the right word. They're moderating, filtering, doing things with millions of posts at any given moment, and so it's like. And he's like, yeah, some of those are going to be wrong, right? Statistically, there's just no no way we get all those right, and we can talk about how we do it and those kind of things. Um, but what's interesting is you could say there's there's certain lines you want to draw. You don't want this content into your social media. That makes sense, and that's a pretty straightforward process. Um, there's going to be some gray, and it, around the edges, what exactly qualifies as sexual content, what exactly qualifies as... Uh, you know, what, what point is the, the line of violence too far? Um, but the question of fact-checking is different. That's not, that's not nearly as, what's the word? That's unrelated to the values per se. That's, this, is, this is supposed to be more objective, mm-hmm. but it's also of a different kind. If you say Facebook, we don't want violence and we don't want uh, these other things, um, that's very different than saying we also want everything on Facebook to be true, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or at least not dangerously false. Or even even as I'm saying that, I don't know. That doesn't sound quite right. You can't make that kind of guarantee. It can't all be true. It can't all. Yeah, be... obviously it can't be true because the information that's being passed along is individuals' personal opinions and ideas and thoughts. You know what I mean? Trying to regulate that wouldn't make sense. You know what I mean? Yes, but to some degree they want big news stories to be accurate 
And once you've entered that world, and they have, obviously, once you've decided it's not enough to, to eliminate certain kinds of things, but we want to actually improve the quality of conversation by making sure that the information within some sphere that you'd have to define very carefully mm-hmm. is going to be factual is is an entirely different step that's a this is a difference in kind i think this isn't just another kind of content moderation well i would say it, it is another point, kind of content different. moderation but you're right it is another step because because yeah, what yeah. they're saying is what they're acknowledging is hey now we've reached a point in terms of our content where people aren't just coming to talk with their friends and to post about things that they're doing but they're also coming to consume news information you know what I mean? And so we have branched out and we actually have an entire new type of content, which is shared news articles. You know what I mean? Shared news. And that that content we've decided is worth monitoring, is worth yes moderating, I mean. Not just monitoring, but right. limiting. <laughs> yeah, the vocabulary here is weird. You're, you're right that this is content moderation either way, but it's... Uh, it's different from the other types of content moderation. Um, moderating is does not roll off the tongue, <laughs> but I, I suppose that's the right verb for this. If we're talking about content moderation, then what we're doing is we're moderating these. Um, uh, censoring is usually how people, <laughs> critics would describe it. Or uh, uh, Anyway, so with regards to that, Facebook made what I think is the prudent business decision. Which they will. They simply hired. They, they. That's right. They hired a third party, and said it's not our problem. (laughs) Which, which. Well, I, I wouldn't. All the sense in the world. I wouldn't put it that way. I'd say that they realize they're under an incredible spotlight, and so they are doing something that a lot of companies do, which is you have some kind of independent verification. Like a lot of big companies will do an independent yeah. audit, for example. You know what I mean? Or have an independent like like I work I work for a company that is a subsidiary, subsidiary, subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway, right? I mean, you wouldn't even recognize it as Berkshire Hathaway. Because there's a lot of companies like like AutoZone that's yes, Berkshire absolutely, Hathaway, absolutely. right? Um but Berkshire Hathaway has a policy in place for their employees for if there's any kind of like harassment or stuff like that, that's a completely independent company that any employee for any of these subsidiaries at Berkshire Hathaway can contact and get an independent investigation of what's going on. You know, I mean, that's just a standard thing. And the reason Berkshire Hathaway has it is because they're this massive company with a ton of assets and they're trying to protect those assets by having this kind of independent system that helps protect them from liability. You know, it protects the employees, but more importantly for the company, it's protecting the company. And and that's right. a similar thing that's taking place here is they're saying, hey, people want us to be accurate and we're getting a lot of pressure from everyone. So what we're doing is we're creating a a theoretically neutral party, partisan-wise theoretically neutral, but definitely neutral from us. It's not going to be us. It's going to be the separate company that has a systems and balances in place, almost like a government, that is then going to fact check Facebook. In terms of the news, yeah, yes. If I if I'm understanding uh, 
the conversation properly, Mark Zuckerberg's conversation properly, he suggested that they're hiring someone, as in the company already exists, they're not creating it. So it's not a part of Facebook. It's not merely some subsidiary or new organization they've created. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, but it's someone who already has a reputation, um, and that's why they picked them. And so it is, it is completely out of their house. Yeah, of, and you're right. That is that of, is a little bit different, but it does accomplish that same purpose of getting that independent it, fact-checking. Well, they could have well, it's it's interesting that they would do that as opposed to create their own thing. With a with a budget of five billion dollars, some of which is going specifically to this, you could hire your own people and create your own team. But they wanted they wanted more so than usual to be able to wash their hands of it, I think, is part mm-hmm. of is part mm-hmm. of the reason to be like, this is not our call, right? We're hiring these people, they have a good reputation. If there's a problem, maybe they would switch, right? Or they, yeah, would, yeah. they would do hire some other group or um move elsewhere. Um and I have no problem with in theory, I have no problem with that organization or with making that business choice. I probably would not have hired fact checkers at all. I'm much more comfortable with a wild west in terms of sharing news and that kind of stuff than other people are. But if you were going to, this makes sense. This makes some sense. Which which brings us to why are we talking about this? You know, what is our what is our takeaway looking at this? I mean, we've talked about this before about how we we don't believe that private companies are now the public square. We don't believe that, as some conservatives do, that we should go in and force Facebook to allow all free speech. Because, first of all, conservatives don't actually want that. They don't want Facebook to get rid of all that content moderation. They just don't want Facebook to curtail the type of free speech that they want. You know what I mean? Which is very different than saying, hey, you should just allow everything. They're saying, no, this one thing, of all the many things you've taken away, we want this one thing back. Which is understandable. I I agree. I want that thing back, too. I want want there able to be news dissemination freely on these platforms. But in terms of, of government intervention... I don't think that the public square argument is strong enough, and we talked about this before, but it doesn't change the fact that this is a disturbing trend. You know what I mean? And it's not just Facebook. It's it's across the board. Um, YouTube has been especially guilty of being incredibly strict towards particular particular ideologies. Um, you know, you know, the Dark Horse podcast who posts on YouTube. You know, they've been uh, demonetized. A lot of uh, gun review uh, YouTubers, like people who talk about guns, have just been straight up demonetized, which is, and first of all, just a quick aside, the fact that YouTube demonetizes as a punishment is insane, because what they're doing is they're saying, what you're doing is bad, right, is a problem and shouldn't be happening, hence disciplinary action. So the logical conclusion would be to stop you from publishing, you know, shut down your account, stop you from ban. This content is you bad. You cannot post it. It should not be But here. instead, what they're doing is they're saying, this content is bad, so we're going to continue to let people watch it. We're going to continue to run ads for it, you know, run ads before and after the video and stuff. 
but we're not going to give you any of the money and we're just going to keep it all ourselves because you're a bad person. You know what I mean? We don't care that people are seeing the bad video. We just don't want you to profit from it anymore. And, and so you've got all these channels that YouTube's still making a killing off of, still allowing the videos to be there, but because it's bad, they're not letting them profit from it. Like, doesn't that just seem bizarre, Dan? Am I crazy here? No, the, the funniest part about that, so I'd never thought about that. Um, it just seemed, you know, it's just the way things were. I'd never actually considered it. But, it. but it's actually brilliant, isn't it, from a business standpoint? Because you don't want them to leave. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want them to take their content somewhere else. And so you, you leave the videos up. You don't want the people to go watch them somewhere else or something like that. It's like a morally is it is it absurd? Absolutely. Your your point is I think right on that if they're if they're going this is bad content, remove mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Right? If this is if if it's wrong in some way and you think it deems some kind of punishment, the problem is that people are seeing it. And, sure, and certainly demonetizing things discourages people from making a lot more of them. But that's but it's like a passive aggressive discouragement, you know, it's like it's not a it does nothing if they've been doing it for years. It's just yeah, it's weird. No, it, it is, is weird. It is stupid because what they'll do is they'll be like, Hey, you had two episodes that were bad, so we've removed those two episodes and demonetized you. You know what I mean? And it just doesn't it doesn't make sense. It it doesn't and it's Yeah, they'll remove something. They'll remove yeah. some things, but the point is it's like, okay, if they just had two bad episodes, remove them and move on. Or if you're saying they're a repeated bad actor who can't be trusted, then remove them. Don't just take away their financial livelihood, but leave their rotting, you know, corpse. It's just so, it's just so dishonest. Um, it is. I think it's a way to be, it's a way to obscure the fact that you're punishing them because you don't want to upset people. Yeah, it's, it's, it's another, they feel it's it. It's another but... version of shadow ban, you know what I mean? Where you're trying to manipulate the systems without causing a big scene you know what i mean you don't uh, want to be you uh, don't want to be banning things left and right but you want to you want to punish people and get things the way that you want them and youtube is is notorious for this because they are they're strict and they're inconsistent i mean but you get this across platforms um yeah like tiktok is Taxes another one regulations where can thing. be like this oh oh absolutely but specifically where you're like like I'm a tyrant and I'm just going to kill this, but I'm going to make it look like it was an accident or like it was, you know, it's like, I'm going to make it look very, uh, look okay. No, I'm not, I don't want to cause a public stir. <laughs> just regulated out of existence. So, oh boy. So, so that brings us to, to which is, to, I guess the point where we're going with all of this is that we live in a world of, uh, of information control. You know, they talked about how this was going to be the information age, and now it's become the information restriction age, which is a little bit unexpected. And and it creates some problems. You know, one of the problems is that if if social media cuts things out, if if mainstream media won't verify things that they disagree with, the problem is you're left with a whole ton of information, but no way to verify, you know, what's true. And that is really, that is really destructive 
of truth and understanding and knowledge and wisdom. And I think that's something that we're seeing more and more. I mean, something we've talked about before with with Trump supporters who are still Trump supporters because partly because of the choices they've made, but also in large part because of what social media and media companies have done, they have lost all faith in all of these systems. You know what I mean? And so they are turning to more and more wild sources because that's all that they can that's all that they can trust. That's all that's left to them. So so what we want to talk about, you know, as we talk about all of this fact checking, is we want to do a quick reminder about some of the, and this is, you know, once again one of our favorite words, some of the gaslighting that has occurred when it comes to fact checking, because there's been a whole lot of it. You know what I mean? When 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 Joe Rogan and Mark Zuckerberg were talking, the fact that Mark Zuckerberg admitted that there was something to the Hunter Biden laptop story was wild to me. Even though like it's said and done, the fact that he would admit that boggled my mind. You know what I mean? Like I was like, no, you're <laughs> you're part of the group that would never admit something like that. You know what I mean? And it, it was just Mark, you gotta be careful. You're gonna get you need a shadow band on yeah, Facebook. Yeah, no kidding. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they <laughs> You can't say yeah, that. It just it was it was wild because I'm just so used to being like this is just how the world works. And and one area where that happened a whole ton was with COVID. COVID is a trip. Uh Brad and I we we pay obviously we you hear news things about it. If you're paying attention to the news, you occasionally hear things about COVID, you'll hear about the vaccines, the booster shots, the uh, Various studies that are going to be that have been released and updating our information of what happened. Um, I stumbled on a podcast that was recapping some of the things that were not true about COVID. And as this person was listing things, things that were said to be true, that were official narrative, that had been fact check, that if you had if you had posted something contrary to these things, you would probably be banned. You would at least be shadow banned, and there would be fact checking saying that you're wrong fact-checking from Facebook or Twitter or whatever group it may be. Um, and as they listed them one after the other, none of them were news. I guess some of the more subtle details were news. But more importantly, they were... When they were all together, it was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just to realize the number of things that were that were completely wrong that you could not disagree with without being censored or shadow banned or shunned often all three. Um, and, and we're not speaking metaphorically here. I mean, you can go back and look at the dark horse podcast and, and the demonetization that happened, the, you know, the, the, the sheer attacks they got, you know, like personal attacks from even people that they knew is just, is just wild for things that they were saying that have now been vindicated. So we want to go through and talk about some of those things. The The first one we want to talk about is when the vaccines first came out, we were told that they were going to stop transition, transmission and create herd immunity. That the idea was we wait for the vaccines, we get these vaccines, and they're going to create herd immunity and it's going to stop the virus in its tracks. Now, today... If you look on the CDC's webpage and you look up what the vaccines do, they don't mention a single word about transmission. They're just talking about how it's going to prevent you 
from getting sick and dying from COVID. You personally, right? As if, and, and as people have walked that back since then, because they have. So, so back then it was, it will provide herd immunity. Now there's no mention of that. So in the middle, you'd think there'd be a turnaround where they said, we were wrong. This is what it actually is. And instead, what there were were little backsteps slowly over time. And in fact, there were several people who went so far as to be like, no, we never claimed it would provide herd immunity. It was never about that. It was always just about this. And that is just a blatant lie, just an out and out fabrication. And anyone who's experienced the past two years should be able to remember how strong that narrative was at the beginning about what COVID was going, to, what the vaccine was going to do. I mean, literally the reason for it, the getting the vaccine was for the greater good. You had to protect the elderly. You have to protect those who cannot get the vaccine or who are the most at risk from COVID. And you do that by taking the vaccine yourself, which then provides herd immunity. It stops you from transmitting the virus to someone else. You know what I mean? That was literally right. the whole point. The whole system yes, yes. of vaccine necessity of why everyone was like, if you speak bad about the vaccine, you're killing everyone because we need to achieve this herd immunity. And then six months after that, they're like, what? We never said that. It was never about herd immunity. It was always just doing this one thing. Is mind-boggling. Like, are we all going crazy? That happened. You can't tell us it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, you can find videos of it all over, too. This is why, uh, this is, uh, I, this is why people accepted the wartime mentality idea of, like, don't question the vaccine. Because if you question the vaccine, you're going to encourage some people not to take it. And we can't afford to have them not take it because the harm won't just be to them. It will be to people who are higher risk mm -hmm, and can't take mm -hmm, the vaccine themselves. Mm -hmm. right? it, was, it was a greater good. It was a, you can't just look at the individual effects on you, you selfish son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> because if you do that, right, you're missing the bigger picture. We, we have to stop the transmission. And as you said, at this point, there's, there's nothing about transmission because it doesn't stop the transmission. And, and the crazy thing it, is there was data really early on about that. I mean, I remember talking about it when the, we, we talked, talked about, about it. it. Yes. And when we were talking about it, when people like the Dark Horse podcast were talking about it, it was, it, people were, it was controversial. You know what I mean? What is now accepted was extremely insane to claim, you know, just a year ago. Yes, yes. And that one would get you banned. You, you say, actually, vaccines don't work. At this. Aren't going to yeah, stop exactly. the spread of COVID. Yeah. At that time period, um, you were going to call down thunder. Um, it, it, we, we talk, we're talking mostly from the perspective of people just engaging on social media or in the podcasting world. Doctors would get kicked out of organizations, mm -hmm. right? They'd lose jobs. Mm -hmm. They'd... Uh, they, crazy the second one is an evolution uh all of these uh, brad pointed out that it was a series of small steps of walking back mm -hmm. a lot of these ideas and that's that's always the case because if you simply declare it straight up right it looks yeah. worse so they tend to they tend to politics says you just double down on stupidity they couldn't always double down and so when they couldn't double down they would walk it back so slowly and then act like it never happened. Well, and usually that was after doubling, tripling, and quadrupling down for a long <laughs> period of time. 
And then eventually public opinion turned against mm -hmm. them and then they would walk it back slowly. So masks are one of the big ones. And part of the problem is that we talk about masks as a category. N95 masks are fundamentally different than a normal cloth mask, which is what the vast, you know, the overwhelming majority of people have access to and we're using throughout the pandemic. Initially, we were told masks don't really work. This was mm -hmm. a big thing. A lot of people made a big deal about it at the time. Um, and that turned out to be a cover up because uh, health organizations were worried that there would be too many people buying up all the masks and then the places that really needed the most wouldn't have them. So they concluded the the turn was actually masks are very mm -hmm. effective. Everybody needs them. We just were low on supply. We we're just lying to you, but we and, will never do it again. <laughs> we we're just we we're just lying to you for the greater good. Then you get some things that are like, actually, masks are not as effective as we thought. Especially the cloth masks. Especially the cloth masks. And now. And at this point. People admit that cloth masks don't help. Now, they often put a caveat on there. They'll be like, well, with the, the coming of the variants and things, cloth masks actually don't really help. And they'll say things like that, right? Don't really help. What are, what are you talking about when you say use that kind of language statistically? Do you mean do you mean it decreases the odds by ten percent or five percent instead of twenty or thirty? Mm -hmm. Like what what does this mean in numbers? Well, here's the truth: cloth masks don't help you. Period. Yeah. <laughs> like like there's no statist statistically there, it's it's insignificant and ambiguous whether they help you at all. Period. So should you wear a cloth mask? No. They are, as, uh, as some doctors put it recently, now that you can talk openly about this, expensive, not expensive, they're face decorations, essentially. <laughs> they're, they don't, they're not doing you any good. And, and this is another case, Dan, where, where even as they change their story, they're being disingenuous. Because they're saying cloth yeah. masks don't help against the variants, which is, of course, a true statement. But hidden in that statement is a very clever lie. And the clever lie is that it implies quite clearly that it actually did help against the original variant, the original COVID. Oh, they were great against that. But now that we have these variants, we have to change, yeah. change our, our, our plan. And the data does not support that. The data is, is pretty darn clear that cloth masks just have never been helpful. But because yeah. of that careful careful approach in how they they word that they can imply something without having to back it up they don't have to have a study next to it that shows hey here's the effectiveness of covid with these masks versus the variants no they can be like it doesn't help against these new variants that's why we're changing policy ignoring the fact that it never helped and making us feel like okay well this is why they're making the change yes because there's yeah. new information instead of it being the variants were a great excuse to abandon all of their policies. And as we're talking about a lot of these things, that's something that you'll see a lot. You know what I mean? Part of one of the things that they did as they were pivoting on vaccines is they would bring up the variants over and over and over again as a defense for vaccine failings. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. For things that actually were, yeah, and, like you said, it, they're, they're suggesting that things are changing and things, some things absolutely. did change. But often they were using that as an excuse to change policies that should have never been there at all. Um, masks at this point. So one of the things that we uh, we will go into social distancing, too, because social distancing is tied to this same idea. 
Masks do help the spread of a number of sicknesses. Uh, why? Because it's going to block things like you're sneezing, mm-hmm. theoretically, right? You're coughing, those kind of things. It doesn't spread as far, um, which is why masks are recommended for uh, protection against things like influenza. Uh, the coughing and sneezing is not uh, associated with the spread of COVID-19 in the same way that it is with influenza. Uh, the social distancing policy is also based on assumptions about similarities between COVID-19 spread and influenza. And so uh, to, to give them the benefit of the doubt on masks, early on, there probably was good reason to assume that masks would help, um, even cloth masks. Which is um, why they lied to keep them for the people who needed them. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, but we knew very quickly thereafter that it wasn't the case, that, that COVID was was functioning differently. Social distancing, and social distancing, there's like a three-foot recommendation to deal with influenza and it's for exactly the same reason. Uh, it's to keep you some distance so that spit in things as you're talking and whatnot doesn't fly out of your mouth or coughing or sneezing, right? And it's a, a, a one meter, I think, is actually the standard. The U.S. went on the safe side. They picked six feet. Um, and that was what it was based on. It turns out, and there's, there's studies on this. There was an MIT study that was really famous that got some people into some trouble, um, but has stood the test of time, that your distance from the person does affect how likely it is to spread to you. If you're one foot away from them, it's, good, it's more likely to spread to you than if you're three feet or if you're six feet. And if you're six feet away from them, it's more likely to spread to you than if you're 30 feet and so on, right? The distance matters. But not as much as you would statistically, think. statistically, yeah, statistically, it's such a small amount that it is truly irrelevant. It, it does matter, just not enough for it to, to actually change any behavior. Yeah, in terms of, in terms now, there of it are being other useful variables. policy, it doesn't matter. It doesn't help. It's not actually going to really change the outcome of anything. Everybody's going to end up getting it anyway. Um, and, and not just, and I don't, I don't say that like in the long run. I mean, it's, if you were to put it in statistical numbers, you know, we're talking fractions of a fraction of a fraction of a percent in terms of the odds. So it's, it's a, it's a behavior that, that adds a lot of inconvenience and has no statistically significant improvement uh, to your outcomes. What does matter is circulation in the room, right? Your, uh, uh, what were some of the other yeah, factors yeah, so related the, to this? The airflow, the circulation. Airflow, how the, much time you're spending in a room with someone the size of the room yes, was yes. huge. You know, so yes. if you're in a small room with another person for 15 minutes and there's and the AC's turned off and there's, you know, only negligible airflow and they have COVID, you'll have COVID too. You know, I mean, that's what these studies would yeah, look you, at. You're exposed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Versus. Right. Versus, and, and they found that these. Sorry, continue. These, these mattered so much more. We're not talking like, oh, this is, this is twice as important. We're talking, this is a thousand times or, or 10,000 times as important as the social distancing. These are the things that actually matter. Which is why in an airplane is actually one of the safest places to be dealing with COVID. You could be unmasked on an airplane sitting next to, you know, right next to, shoulder to shoulder with a ton of people. And not one of the safest places, probably, You're, I'm sure. They're, outside is a that, safer place. That was probably... That, much more safe than your yes, perception that was the be. safest place of those kind of that size and that kind of cramped of an area. Like, of all yes. the times when you're indoors and squeezed in with people, that was the safest. 
And it was the safest because the airplane circulation systems had just recently been updated as a general kind of overhaul of planes, and they were top tier. They were extremely good at, at air filtration. And, and as airflow. such, uh, airflow, yes, yes. So as such, it, it was because of that that it was extremely unlikely that even in an airplane, even that close together, you were going to get those kind of changes. So this is a, in terms of masks and social distancing, did they make a difference? No. And this is what's crazy is that people people got upset because they felt like they were you were nitpicking when you hear people talk about this. Like Dark Horse would talk about this. We talk about this. And the thing is, you'd be like, well, why does this matter? You know, why can't people do these things even if they make a little difference? And it's like, well, because they're actually dangerous. Because if you believe in masks and social distancing, then you can have an interview with someone in a small cubicle or in a small office, you know, in a business and say, okay, we're going to sit six feet apart and we're going to have a conversation for an hour, right? And we'll both be safe because we're six feet apart. We're social, you know, we're wearing masks and we're vaccinated, right? All three of those things are going to keep us safe in this environment. When in reality, because they're in a small room, and vaccines don't st help the spread and the masks aren't actually helping and the six foot distancing is helping what what is hurting is that small enclosed room for a long period of time it's very likely they're going to spread it verse if they had been two people who may or may not have gotten the vaccine irrelevant to this discussion are outside you know on a on a park bench sitting across from each other two feet away outside in the sun were way less likely to have gotten, you know, you know, to have to have spread it to each other. You know what I mean? Because those facts matter and the facts we were paying attention to didn't matter. You know what didn't. I mean? And right. the, the problem right. the problem with all of this is that within a few months of this going on, more and more data kept showing up, but it was never acknowledged until years after the fact. You know what I mean? And Yeah. And it had a real cost. You we have a limited number of resources, limited number of time and attention. You have to pick carefully what you pay attention to. You want people to pay attention to the things that make a difference. People were absolutely obsessed with masks and social distancing. It turned out these things were irrelevant statistically in terms of the outcomes. All that time you spent should... in, in line at the grocery store six feet behind the other person, <laughs> that did nothing. It was a waste of everyone's time. Not... Having one-way aisles right. did nothing, you know? Yeah, it, it, the, the effect on schools and offices and things where you had to actually rearrange everything and like, oh, you actually couldn't meet because of various reasons. A waste of time and resources. Um, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. A lot of places closed down, right? Because they couldn't meet social distancing standards. They couldn't figure out a way because of the, the way the building was, the number of people working in it, those kind well, of things. Well, and that brings us to uh, the, they would shut down. the next two points we wanted to talk about, you know, which is, which is the instruction, you know, to everyone for, to stay home instead of going out and doing things, and then the lockdowns as part of that. It's right. all part of that same narrative. Right. Staying home was was huge mistake. Vitamin D turns out to be one of the great predictors of how bad your condition of COVID is going to be. It turns out to be being low in vitamin D is actually a, I mean, it's a bad thing for any illness. It's key to your immune system. But it's extremely dangerous. It's a, what's the word? It's a, it's one of the risk factors mm -hmm. for COVID-19 is vitamin D. How do you get vitamin D? Generally, it's by being outside in the sun. Also, it doesn't really spread in the sun. The best thing, one of the best things that could have happened would be for everybody to spend all their time outside hanging out together. No, I'm not. 
Like that would have. I'll never forget seeing the uh, police tape around the the playground at my local park. You know, here in Utah, like it was it was insane. <laughs> They're like, the last thing we need is these kids outside playing on the playground. Yes. Yes, and again, this was built on an idea of how it spreads. They thought the contact with the metal would, uh, that it would be there for a while. Again, I'm pretty sure that's influenza standard, uh, and it's just did not how COVID was working. Yeah, it's uh, a, <laughs> in, in countries where they really crack down on this, right, where you really couldn't leave your house, it's the worst thing you could do. Like one of the, it's, it's such a terrible, not the worst thing you can do. You can always do something worse. It's a terrible, it's, it's not just wrong in this case, it's extraordinarily harmful. Mm -hmm. And then you have the lockdowns, as you said, this is the forced closure of businesses and other groups sending them home, um, you know, forcing them not to, not to work. Yeah. I mean, closing down venues, basically so many, so many extraneous activities were shut down, even here in the United States, which didn't have the most crazy lockdowns. I mean, we've forgotten about it, but in 2020, there were a lot of things you couldn't do. And what was the result of that was people just not doing anything. You know what I mean? And it was just so, so detrimental and didn't slow down the spread. And that seemed, and that was obvious so quickly because the lockdowns had no even correlation with what COVID was doing. And that's something we talked about ages ago. Ages ago, we've talked about it. It's been it. a long time. And it's been a long time. This, the, the data has been there, but it hasn't mattered. It hasn't mattered. It now matters in that, that this is like all of these things. A lot of people are starting to come around and get the sense that they were deceived. That um, you search uh, uh, lockdowns and you're going to end up with a lot of links and a lot of articles talking about how lockdowns did more harm than good. That was the expected outcome prior to COVID-19, which is why the pandemic guidelines stated you don't lock down because you end up doing more harm than good with lockdowns. Now, there could be an exception, as we've said before, there can be an exception to that if the disease is extremely lethal. COVID was not lethal enough to fit that description. It was not even close to lethal enough to justify um, some kind of lockdown and the lockdowns didn't stop the spread anyway <laughs> like it wasn't <laughs> the lockdowns would have to stop the spread for it to be worth it at all they didn't even stop the and spread it's important to know um, here they, dan that these people who are finally acknowledging it like those newspaper articles they're talking about it like we just now figured this out when the evidence was there first of all before this ever happened there was data but even real life data with the actual lockdowns that were taking place was there within a couple of months that we were looking at. You know what I mean? With our limited understanding, we could find that data, and yet it was ignored. You know what I mean? That what we had is people stuck their heads in the sand and ignored all this data that said what they were doing made no sense. And now, two years later, they're like, either, no, we were right the whole time, and we never did those things, which is, of course, the most egregious lie like with the vaccine vaccines you know never being about herd immunity or they're like there's no way we could have known that as soon as we found out the information we made a change which is still very disingenuous because the data was there the data was there early and, and not it wasn't hidden. there it wasn't and there at the beginning hidden. we yeah. found it yes. if we it can find the it beginning. the cdc can find it <laughs> yes. 
Yes, yeah, so Brad and I can be vindicated on almost everything we've said about COVID. I'm sure there are exceptions. But all of these major points were things that we, we were able to find studies. We were to look at them and be like, huh, this looks like the, the, the mainstream narrative is wrong. Now, with regards to fact-checking, how did people handle the fact-checking when you have an authoritative body, the CDC, declaring these kind of things? Well, the CDC was considered the authority, and anything contrary to the CDC was considered wrong. Yeah, well, and, and they would link you to CDC things, the CDC guidelines, and right? And what's interesting is, is that there are multiple authorities. Like, there's the World Health Organization, there's the CDC, there's the NIH. These authorities did not always agree, and the fact checkers would choose one of them. And usually it was the one that was the most popular narrative here in the United States. You know, when we're talking about fact checking for these social media and, you know, mainstream yeah. US news, it wouldn't matter that other authorities like the World Health Organization might disagree with the CDC. It didn't matter any of that. All that mattered is this is what the CDC has said. And anything beyond that is irrelevant. Yeah, and it's it's oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. The the whole idea that the CDC is going to be right about everything. Like like you put yourself in a fact checker's shoes. Who is the fact checker? who's asked to confirm whether these things are. What do they, do they have time to research this issue? No, they, they've got to have an authoritative body they can appeal to, or they have to be, become an expert themselves and do the deep dive themselves. Yeah. And, and they're, they're not going to do that. You have the time and resources to do that. So what you do is you find an authoritative body and you go with their story. The problem is that the information is such in this world and that at the peak of what we know, at the edge of what we know, which is much, which is not very far out there. Whenever you, <laughs> it seems like we know a lot about things, and then you you get into that subject and you start talking to the experts, and you re you really you realize very quickly that we reach the edge of our knowledge quite early. There's still so much about the world and the universe and ourselves that we don't understand. So they find an authoritative figure that has a narrative that fits whatever they like or whatever it is, you know, whatever their biases are or, or however you want to frame it, they, you're their predisposition, their political leanings, and they go with that authority. And that's it. And the age of the fact checker is just going to be an age where we pretend that bias is a good substitute for actual knowledge and expert discussion. The age of silencing dispute is the age of, of embracing one side, one set of biases, and just being blind to the other one. There, there's no, let the experts discuss things. It's, it's wild, Dan. The, the more, as I've, as I've sat here, as we've talked about it, as we've looked at it, about what's happened over the past two years, it truly is dystopian. You know what I mean? When you think about a book like 1984, where they go back in time, you know, the, the Ministry of Truth will go back in time and and change what was written in the past to fit the current narrative and and literally just rewrite history in order to conform with what they're saying. And you're like, that could never happen in real life. And then you reach a point where with certain aspects of COVID, I find myself forgetting 
that they actually said something completely different. You know what I mean? I find myself forgetting the fact that things have been changed so drastically. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. And I'm like, holy crap. This has actually worked. You know what I mean? This has actually worked. Not perfectly. I mean, because people are, are really pissed off with a lot of these authority figures. But a lot of people believe that things were actually handled okay. What's wild is the CDC can actually come out very quietly and say, yeah, we completely screwed up COVID and our response to it, which they just did recently. And, <laughs> right. and people... It's like a month ago and I didn't yeah, hear about and it. Yeah, and people to this... Yeah, no one hears about it. And to this day, people believe that the authorities were generally right and everyone else, all the nut jobs, were nut jobs. That's the most commonly held opinion in the United States today. Probably just barely. You know what I mean? But it's still the yeah. majority opinion. And that's just that's impressive, first of all. But it's also it's a little disturbing. It it is disturbing. It is disturbing. This has got to be the the most I mean you in places like North Korea, right, they're they're telling ridiculous lies that everybody basically has to believe, and you don't have access to any other information. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like the United States, where where I don't know, it's just it's just much harder to control information. It is extraordinary that they could be wrong about virtually everything that made it into policy. Everything that was driving all the big arguments and policies of what we were going to do to handle COVID. And they were wrong about all of it. And, and we just move on yeah, with our exactly. lives. Like, like, like there's just no, they're reorganizing the CDC, uh, restructuring it. Hopefully it'll be better than it was. Maybe it'll be worse. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. But but they're restructuring it. As Brad said, they admitted that, that they made egregious public errors. Um, but anyway, it's it really is dystopian to look back at it. And right now, right now, so the talk is about vaccines. And there are studies indicating that you may have been. We know that that for certain people, it was more of a risk to take the vaccine than it was to not take the vaccine. Mm -hmm. COVID to some people, posed such little risk. Whereas the vaccines, uh, especially for young men, seem to have a significant risk with them. Um, you know, not not big, but bigger than the COVID risk, right? So there was a there's certainly a case to be made that that it was more dangerous to take the vaccine in some cases than it was not to take the vaccine. That case is getting stronger. Uh, there are more and more studies, uh, more and more publications, more and more people talking about how actually getting the vaccine may decrease your immunity to the variants. It may make your body more susceptible to the and variants. And of course, all of that is your... acknowledged on the CDC website now, right? That there's a lot more <laughs> nuance to all of this? There is more nuance on the no, CDC I'm kidding. website. I'm kidding. Well, there's if at least there is there's at least some scrubbed things. No, but that's but no, that's they're the not going to yeah, acknowledge you can that. Bury, you can go deep in the CDC website and find some stuff. But if you look up, should I get a COVID nineteen vaccine? It's just going to say yes. yes. There's yeah. no ambiguity. Yeah. Yes, I heard a clip from an interview with Fauci the other day in which he said of children getting boosters. He was asked whether they should get boosters, and he said, "Well, I think it depends on your individual risk." And uh, I about 
died. I, I, I should, I feel like I should have cared at this, but at this point it's like, it's so numb, but it's a, uh, but that's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's what we said at the beginning. And that's how vaccines yeah, have and, been and that's And that's what people were being, you know, burned at the stake for, you know, just a few months ago. You know what I mean? Where, where people would say something like that and literally everyone on the, the right side of history would do everything they can to shut them up. You know what I mean? And, and now you've got, you know, the, one of the leaders of that movement being like, yeah, that's, that's probably right. Yeah, that's right. You should just uh, weigh it and it may be, may be better for you to do it. It might not be. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. I don't know how we prevent this in the future. Um, the universities should have been better. They're, they're the source of most of these scholarly, the scholarly information. Um, you got some that would do studies, right? That would, that would stand out. In fact, in fact, the studies more or less continued. No, that's not true. They have continued. Um, a lot of places would not deal with COVID directly. Um, we've talked about how the, uh, normally what you get is you get, uh, you get all the top medical places will start treating COVID patients. They will try different things and then they will come together and compare notes and will get uh, their different processes for how they've treated it and what they've found to be successful. I mean, this is a very experimental approach. Um, and it's the norm in medicine because that's how, you, that's how you have to go about it until you understand it well. That never happened here. There, was a, there were groups of doctors that essentially tried to fill the gap and do that same thing, but they're never going to be able to replace dozens mm -hmm. of top-tier hospitals mm -hmm carrying that out. And the, the reason seems to largely be the doctors just didn't want to take the risk of getting exposed to COVID. They were, they, like many other people, were very scared and they just wanted to bury their heads in the sand and, uh, and treat it like, treat them like uh, old plague victims, right? You just cast them out of society or something. You just, you don't interact with them. You don't want to, you don't want to get it yourself. Um, and er again, early on, Early on in COVID, I can have a lot of grace for people, but so much information came forward so quickly. They needed to change their tune much quicker. Mm -hmm. They needed to actually adapt. They needed to actually tell people the truth and stop. And for heaven's sake, stop banning people on Facebook and other places and shadow banning them to, to keep them quiet when that, when it turns out that they are right. Like, where's the, where's the vindication? Yeah. Where's the moment yeah. where these people get to go out in public and like everyone gives them awards? Yeah, where's that's that's what where's should happen. These, these companies apologizing to the people who are blacklisted and saying, "Yeah, you were right. Our bad." Yes, yes. Because I I want some kind of remuneration for for the Dark Horse yeah, podcast. Because instead, for often like, what you'll see is is even as the official narrative changes, it says, "Yeah, that might have been right." The social media companies are so behind, they're still banning people for agreeing with them. You know what I mean? Like, that's how backwards it is. Yes. Like, it's... It is It is at that point. I've actually seen that, where people where people are quoting the CDC, and they're getting banned. They're getting, uh, they're getting it, uh... Yeah, their Facebook account's temporarily banned. And they're like, wait, this was my source. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's literally the whole reason you? <laughs> for your system, you know? Your holy grail of authority. <laughs> Yeah, it's and it's a messed up world. And, and so, 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 why is this worth talking about? Because it just seems frustrating. The reason it's worth talking about 
is because you ask the question, well, how do we make sure this hasn't happened again? It's like we can never do that until we admit it happened. You know what I mean? The, yeah. the problem is, is that most people aren't acknowledging that this has happened. This is not an accepted fact of something that has happened because what we're talking about having happened is gaslighting. You know what I mean? And one of the rules of yeah. gaslighting is you don't say you're gaslighting. You know what I mean? And that's <laughs> and that's what we have here is, is that until we acknowledge that we were repeatedly systemically lied to over a period of two years and we acknowledge that this fact-checking not only wasn't good, but completely failed us during COVID, where not only was, was the fact-checking ineffective, but it was literally counter-effective, you know, that it was blocking facts, and that's the exact thing you don't want with fact-checking. You know what I mean? If we can't acknowledge that this is not working, then we won't be able to find a solution. And that's why we need yeah, to talk about yeah. it. That's why we need to, even though we're sick of COVID and we're happy people are not talking about it, we have to understand that one of the reasons people aren't talking about it is because we won the information war. <laughs> and so their solution is to pretend it never happened and just to move on quietly. You know what I mean? Instead of acknowledging, yeah, yes. hey, we were wrong, they just went quiet all of a sudden and changed the topic. Yeah, it's it's capitalizing on the fact on the fatigue, mm -hmm. right? A lot of a lot of the what allows them to change things is that people were just exhausted. Yeah, because I don't want to keep talking about COVID. Yes. Yeah. Well, one final thought before we wrap up is that this is this is why you don't want politics in this. If you're wondering why won't they just change their story, mm -hmm. part of it's because there's the biggest, most wealthy government in the entire world is at stake. And if you change your story, it reflects bad on your party. And if it reflects bad on your party, you throw the next yeah. election. If, if it came out that they had actually had all the information and that Biden's great uh, victory, question mark, that is how they're describing it, yeah. right? <laughs> that, the, that this whole thing was just a series of lies. Lies covering and data. failures and, and more lies to cover those failures. Yes, yes. That has a dramatic impact on the Democratic Party's power for the next little while, right? That's a, that's a, there's a political, uh, there will be a lot of political fallout. And who wants that? So it's just better to just be quiet, right? Let it be. There's so much power at stake. There's so much, uh, so much to be gained by keeping it quiet that you can almost always justify deception in a political realm. At least for you know, people who, people who really really want that power, <laughs> it's just a. This is why this, as I said, this is why politics corrupts the things that it touches. You do not want politics in charge of the response to the pandemic. Ultimately, if you do, it will be corrupted. The parties will declare their lines, and then they will operate on political principles, and they will make political decisions instead of scientific ones. And, however often they talk about science, and you're like, well, then what should we have done? And it's like, oh, well, that's very obvious if politics corrupts everything it touches and just makes it this, what's happened. The solution is obvious, and it's the solution is, is one of the very first things we said about COVID, which is that it shouldn't be made, the decisions shouldn't be made by the government. It's such a radical idea, but if, if we could go back in time, that would be the change. 
is if the government wasn't the one deciding everything, you could have done something very different and very individual. And if we had, things would have been better. I think now that is that is just so clear. The evidence is on our side now. Yes, you can prove that claim. You can prove that claim. Things would have been better if you didn't take a government if the action. government had, had done things nothing. Things would have been better. And with that, thank you for listening. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com, or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com, where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks, and have a wonderful day.